Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I post episodes usually weekly on pretty much whatever I like. So welcome. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and on LinkedIn at a Ugandan babe or one word. You also have the option to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. So please consider doing that and then come back. Now, I wasn't planning to do a review on these two shows because I feel like I've already done lots of reviews, sort of, and I wanted to switch it up and tell my other stories before I came back to reviews. But man, the internet (laughs) has given me FOMO and has triggered me. So we're going to dive back into high fantasy for a moment. And I'm going to talk about the two new shows that have come out in the last few weeks. <clears throat> so about three weeks ago, they came out back to back. Ah, the girls are coming for our necks. The high fantasy girls. The first is, of course, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, which is a sequel. <clears throat> is it a sequel? Not really. Because the first film adaptation, which was directed by Peter Jackson in 2001, was produced by New Line Cinema and Wingnut Films, while this new series is being produced by Amazon Prime. So it's definitely not a sequel to Peter Jackson's work. It has a new director or directors, etc. But it's not even chronologically a sequel because it predates the events in both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by quite a long time, so I guess it's a prequel. We'll get into all that in part two. The other series which I will talk about in this particular episode of the podcast is, of course, House of the Dragon, which is also a prequel. So it precedes the events in... Why did I say it weirdly like that? (laughs) It precedes the events in HBO's Game of Thrones. This one is also an HBO production. And both of these works are, of course, based on George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. Meanwhile, I haven't read the books. I really, really rate George R. R. Martin. I love the first series, so Game of Thrones, but I haven't read the books. So please take my review with that pinch of salt. I'm really speaking as a civilian, <laughs> and I will never read the books, by the way. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit late. It's a bit too late for me. <clears throat> And I understand how, you know, when you're a diehard fan and you've read the book. So, for example, I've read The Hobbit. So, you feel things a bit more deeply when you eventually see things on the screen. So, for the diehard fans and book fanatics, if I get something wrong, if I overlook some detail of canon or, you know, gloss over it, don't take it seriously, what? Please be gentle with me. (coughs) Wow. Excuse all the coughing. Now, before we jump in... Why did I decide to review these shows despite my initial sort of reluctance? Now, maybe I would have reviewed them anyway because these are definitely the kinds of shows that I would take an interest in to that degree. But I thought maybe I would wait, do it a bit later, after I've seen the whole show, maybe not even at all. But I started seeing a lot of chatter online. Initially, I wasn't bothered by it because it was mostly annoying. You know, people claiming that The shows have become too woke, especially uh, the Rings of Power, where woke is really just called for there are too many black and brown people in these fictional worlds that are filled with elves, hobbits, wizards, and dragons. Anyway, I was ignoring all that until I saw a tweet from Elon Musk. And I quote, Tolkien is turning in his grave. 
he didn't explain why he said that but i know <laughs> i've been i've been following the son of apartheid elon musk for some time he's a white boy i, I should say white boy and if you've been listening to the podcast for some time hopefully you know the distinction right between a white man and a white man there are lots of lovely white men living their best and bigoted lives and then there are white men who are not anyway that riled me up a bit so i said okay fine clearly i have strong feelings about this let me do a review i won't focus on any of that wahala though i do have my own criticisms right but this is just my opinion other opinions are available <laughs> let's dive in <clears throat> now let's set the scene for house of the dragon this is based on the three episodes that are out so far as i mentioned earlier the events in this series predate those in game of thrones by about 200 years so things look quite different in westeros when the show begins it portrays the beginning of the end of house targaryen one of the great houses of westeros now i love that they focused on this house because the world of george r r martin's a song of ice and fire is huge there are so many directions that they could have gone in even just from the first tv series so game of thrones there were a lot of interesting houses like um, house stark which i think most of the fandom loved right ned stark rob stark sansa aria and of course pretty boy john snow we loved house stark so they could definitely have gone there and i think we would have been happy there was house lannister again so many fantastic characters tywin jamie um the imp what, what was the imp's name Tyrion, Cersei, um, gosh, the name's escaping me, the, the Demon King, Joffrey, Baratheon, all very, very interesting. Then there was um, that, house, that house from Highgarden, uh, House Tyrell, the one that had Lady Olena and Marjorie, all super, super interesting. And that's just from the first TV adaptation. The books themselves have so much more to offer from Westeros. From across the sea in places like Dawn, Essos, I haven't even read the books, but even I know that. <laughs> so they had a lot of room to explore, but chose House Targaryen, and I'm here for it. Give me pure-blooded, pale-skinned, blonde-haired, purple-eyed dragon riders any day. Give it all to me. Give it all to me. <laughs> What's not to love? So we're going to talk about the first three episodes because that's what that's what's come out so far. We'll see how it goes. Um, I don't think I'll do a regular weekly like blow by blow, but if it remains interesting, maybe I'll do a recap at the end. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe my feelings will have changed drastically, and I'll just pretend it never happened. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So at the beginning of episode one, the first century of the Targaryen dynasty is closing and the old king, Jaehaerys Targaryen, will soon be dead, with no sons to succeed him. He's forced to choose between two of his descendants. And I'm, I'm not clear on how they're related, but they are his descendants, two cousins. Not his cousins, but the, the two of them are cousins. <laughs> Probably the children of his siblings. So he chooses the male descendant, Viserys, who becomes Viserys I or Viserys I. So Viserys is the main guy at the start of the show, and I like Paddy Considine as Viserys. He seems to be a good man. 
you'll see why I say that a bit later on in this episode. But he also seems a bit indecisive. I can't, I can't quite put a finger on it, but we'll get into that later. Soon after the opening credits, we jump forward nine years and meet the King Viserys only living child, a daughter, Princess Rhaenyra, now about 14 years old. She rides in on her dragon Cyrax and I love that scene. I love the score. I think it's the score of dragons. It's so cool. It's really quite beautiful. The queen, meanwhile, is heavily pregnant with another child. I think they've tried many times, but she's pregnant at the moment. So already we can see that the succession is going to be a huge question once again because there is a lot of pressure for this child to be a son. Now, my understanding is that there are no hard rules against women ascending the Iron Throne, but it seems to be the tradition, the custom, the precedent, the convention for male heir to be named. So the idea of Rhaenyra possibly becoming queen ah, is very, very, very iffy. Soon after the episode begins, the queen goes into labor, surrounded by very high hopes for a son, but unfortunately has a horrible, hor- <laughs> my gosh, that birthing scene was so harrowing. Jesus. Ah, these showrunners managed to capture the same level of gruesome as in the original series because that was horrendous. I could barely watch. So the queen has a really difficult birth. The baby is in breach. And eventually, they literally slice her open to get the baby out. And unfortunately, both her and the baby die. And Viserys is distraught. Bambi, Viserys loved his wife. We, we could tell by the way they set it up. So anyway, the baby dies. And so the Game of Thrones begins again. With a king's son dead, the first pick for heir is the king's younger brother. So remember, Jaehaerys died. He had picked Viserys. Viserys had a male heir who has now also died. So the realm is wondering who will be next in line. Enter the king's younger brother, Daemon Targaryen, Lord Commander of the City Watch, in charge of the security of the Targaryen seat, King's Landing. Ha, Daemon. <laughs> Daemon, Daemon, Daemon. He's definitely giving Mad King vibes, and I'm loving it. So he's one of George R.R. Martin's morally great characters, right? The, the most compelling kind to me. And this is something I've noticed in his writing. There is rarely such a thing as a goodie or a baddie among his main characters. And I think Matt Smith is doing a fantastic job so far as Daemon. In one of the early scenes, he has whipped the city watch into shape this small army that looks after king's landing he found them quite disorganized whipped them into shape actually i like how he said he said um he turned them from mongrels into hounds anyway so now they're an organized team he and he gathers them up and goes on to slaughter the criminal gangs of king's landing chopping off the hands of thieves the penises of rapists and the heads of murderers meeting out his own brand of unsanctioned justice. Damon is a loose cannon, but he does have some support in the king's small council, specifically from Lord Corlys Velaryon, known as the Sea Snake, Lord of the Tides, Master of Driftmark, and the head of House Velaryon. 
I'll say more about him later because he's quite an important character so far. And he supports Daemon's claim to the Iron Throne, right? However, there's another very important member of the small council, the Hand of the King. Basically, the king's second-in-command, go-to guy type of arrangement, Otto Hightower. Otto definitely doesn't support Damon's claim. He thinks Damon is violent, impulsive, a tyrant, a spendthrifter. <laughs> He's really not complimentary towards Damon at all, and he thinks he should be kept as far away from court as humanly possible. Now, the king Viserys might have overlooked this viciousness and high-handedness, but unfortunately, after the death of the king's son, Damon, in like a tipsy little speech to his drinking buddies, labeled the deceased baby the king who never was. Ah, la, 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 la. Viserys was hurt. He was really, really hurt. I think that he loved his brother, so he was like, ah, you guy. So the episode ends with the king banishing Damon to Runestone. I think it's in the Vale. But this is where Damon was married. He had married some baby he doesn't like. Viserys also goes on to name his daughter Rhaenyra as heir to the Iron Throne. So that's episode one. Episode two opens with the old school original Game of Thrones score. Yeah, do 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 do. Ah, loved it for us. It was such a treat because we didn't hear it at the start of episode one. Why? I have no idea. But in this episode, we see more of Lord Corlys Velaryon, the sea snake and master of ships. We met him in episode one as an important member of the king's small council, asking the king to intervene in some kavuyo happening on his doorstep at a place called the Stepstones, messing up his shipping lanes. Now, Viserys kind of shut him down at the time, but that becomes important later on, so put a pin in that. The sea snake is quite feisty, you know, sometimes runs his mouth, is quite proud and ambitious, but has so far been loyal to Viserys. That is, until the king has to choose a new bride after the death of his wife and baby. So the sea snake proposes his own daughter, Lena Velaryon. <laughs> that chick is like seven years old meanwhile, she's so young. But anyway, the king rejects her, not because she's young, they were going to wait for her to grow up, but the king was feeling some other cheek. Now, this guy, the sea snake, is head of one of the most powerful houses in Westeros. I think only second to House Targaryen. And his house is actually the wealthiest in all the realms. So he takes this rejection of his daughter by the king very personally. The episode ends with a sea snake going into league with the king's brother Daemon and they go rogue and start a war with the triarchy. So that's those guys who have been causing problems in the stepstones, headed by some lunatic called the crab feeder. Long story short, but to summarize, both Daemon and the sea snake are angry with the king for different reasons. So it's basically a middle finger to Viserys and they go off to do their own thing, basically start a war without the king's blessing. In episode three, we go forward about three years and it begins with even more gruesome scenes from the crab feeder at the Stepstones. He's basically now an enemy of the king, though Viserys is living his best life and has refused to engage. In the middle of this torturous scene of the crab feeder feeding people to the crabs, as his name suggests, <laughs> Damon sweeps in on his dragon, Caraxes. Uh, 
Karaks. He's, he has this long, weird neck, but he's a blood red, battle hardened dragon. You know, still very exciting. And kind of sort of saves the day, temporarily anyway. So, Damon and the sea snake fail to kill the crab feeder and crush whatever the hell is going on on the stepstones, but the dragon does do some damage. In the meantime, back in King's Landing, Viserys has remarried and had a son, Prince Aegon, and everyone is like, ah, hello. <laughs> now you have a son. Please name him heir to the throne so that we can move on with our lives. But this would obviously mean the king ditching his daughter Rhaenyra as heir apparent. He's really torn up about this and eaten up with guilt about pushing his first wife to have a son, which killed her eventually, and orphaned Rhaenyra. So he's fighting his good demons on that. Anyway, it's his son Aegon's second name day, which I guess means like his second birthday. And a hunt has been organized in his honor. The idea is that if they can hunt down a white heart, this is basically like a, a white stag, it will be a good omen for the young prince, a sign that he is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Long story short, they fail to find this heart, but it actually finds Rhaenyra, though she lets it go. She doesn't kill it. Rhaenyra, <laughs> Rhaenyra meanwhile, has been going through it. <laughs> She's been angry for like three episodes, but she's heartbroken at her mom's death and also quite bitter because now it's likely that she will be unseated by her brother as heir to the throne. Because in Westeros, there is a hundred year legacy of just male heirs. So the episode really focuses in on this hunt and the king's anguish over having to potentially disinherit Rhaenyra. There are also some matchmaking shenanigans, you know, some attempts to find her a husband from some powerful house, but this hates everyone. <laughs> but the king eventually allows her to choose a husband. So he says, look, I won't force you. I won't force anyone on you. You look for a good match who will shore up your claim to the throne. And he also promises not to replace her as heir. That was actually quite a moving scene, Bambi. <laughs> Viserys was a good father. The episode ends with Damon and the sea snake in their trenches with a crab feeder and they are losing badly at the stepstones. So they hatch a mad plan to draw him out of the caves where him and his mates usually hide so that they can, you know, eventually actually engage them hand to hand combat and finally crush them. But before they can execute this risky plan, the king finally wakes up and sends word to his brother that he plans to come to their aid by sending ships and men. But Damon isn't having it. Ah, he first wails on the king's emissary. <laughs> that guy never saw it coming. And Damon goes ahead, executes their mad plan, which is basically a suicide mission that actually succeeds. And we even get to see the son of the sea snake, Leno Velaryon, on his gorgeous, gorgeous dragon, Sea Smoke. So we'll see how all that plays out, right? Because Viserys extended an olive branch to his brother, but Damon rejected it, but was still successful. So that's a not so brief overview of the first three episodes. Now, what did I like? I came in with moderate expectations, I think. I, I was super, super pumped, but after what those two men, the former showrunners did to the final season of game of thrones i was ready to be super judgmental 
but I was buzzing. I was buzzing to see Targaryens and dragons. When I saw the casting in the promo post, I was a bit skeptical because I couldn't see any pretties. And I, I like to see pretty people in my series. Please, it's fantasy. It's not a documentary. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. I think it was a solid, solid start casting-wise. I think Paddy Considine does a good job as we series. He kind of harks back to Ned Stark for me, the whole Good King vibe. Ned Stark of course wasn't a king right he was lord vassal to the iron throne but he was a good leader right good heart good intentions i'm a king in the north i think that was just an honorary title actually was he king in the north or was that just john snow anyway he had kingly vibes the difference that i see between viserys and ned stark is that viserys seems to be quite indecisive and a, a bit of a coward See, he even failed to kill that stag at the first blow. Yet it had literally been run down and strung up for him. But my guy needed two attempts to kill it. And I think that was quite symbolic. Ned wasn't any of those things. He was just an all-rounder, solid guy. Really, he should have sat on the Iron Throne. But this is Westeros. But I did like the casting of his series. I liked uh, Rhaenyra. What's that babe's name? I forget. But she's solid. I like Matt Smith as Damon, the quintessential morally great character. Seems to be an ass, but I'm still not sure whether or not to root for him. I like Otto Hightower. Again, can't remember that guy's name because I can't read him fully. He's giving me little finger vibes. Yeah, he seems very calculating. Might have good intentions towards his king, but also has his own agenda and ambitions. So a bit tricksy. The casting that I found a bit underwhelming was the sea snake, Lord Corlys Velaryon. Now, I'm hoping he'll come out a bit more, but he really hasn't knocked me off my feet quite yet. And I love his look. So he's played by this gorgeous black British actor, Steve Toussaint, and they've given him these platinum blonde dreadlocks and I'm living for it. It's a vibe. Ah, he's such a spice. It's so good. But he just isn't bringing the charisma that I'm looking for from the sea snake. His son, Lino Velaryon, is even worse. <laughs> He's just not doing it for me at all. His wig makes his head look a bit big. I don't understand what's going on there, but his look is not it. He does have a really cool dragon, sea smoke. But even the way he said Dracarys was trash. <laughs> He just didn't ride it like a boss. He was yelling. He had. He just had zero stees. Anyway, I'm not crazy about Leno Velaryon, clearly. And yet, um, as far as I can see, there's kind of a setup to to pair him with uh, Princess Rhaenyra. Not so sure, but I hope he grows up into something more convincing. <laughs> so I think those are all the main characters. Well, there is uh, Alicent Hightower, the new queen. Ah, she's there. I don't have strong feelings about her. She married her friend's dad, which is super weird. But hey, this is Westeros. That doesn't even scratch the surface of strange pairings. Uh, what else did I like? I like the pacing of the show so far. There have been some jumps forward in time, but generally they're taking their time with building up the story. Good. It's also fairly unpredictable. I genuinely can't anticipate almost anything. And a good example for me uh, on this is when the White Heart, that stag that they were trying to hunt for Prince Aegon's second name day, 
So when it finds Rhaenyra and instead of killing it, I mean, she could have killed it herself, right? Well, with the help of that chap that she was riding with, but she could have killed it and, you know, returned with it in triumph, what to prove a point, basically saying, this guy literally found me, so maybe I deserve to be queen. But she lets it go and returns with oh, wow, a hawk, a boar, some kind of wild pig. <laughs> I mean, she does look badass, you know, covered in blood when she returns. But at the end of the day, it's a pig, yeah, not a white heart. But I love the subtlety. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the show to see more dragons. <laughs> Give us more dragons. There's supposed to be about 17 of them, so I cannot wait. As always, thanks for listening. Give us a like and subscribe to the channel if you enjoyed this episode. And follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on LinkedIn at a Ugandan babe to continue the conversation. I hope you'll be back for the next one. Goodbye for now.